Welcome to another episode of the Promo News Podcast, talking music videos with me, Rob Yulitsky, and David Knight. And in this episode, we're talking to Nathan James Tetty, a director and creative director based at Untold Studios, who in the past few years has directed videos for the likes of Dave, Stormzy, Getz, Heady One, and Freddo, and played his part in making them among the biggest artists in the UK right now. He's also a relative latecomer to directing, having previously worked in different roles in the music video making business, including producer, executive producer, director's agent, and video commissioner. We began by asking him how he got his start in the world of music video production. I got into music video because I've got a beautiful, wonderful cousin called Max Giwa, who um, is still in a directing duo called Max and Dania. Yeah, so, legends. Legend. Absolute legend. You know, they did like Craig David and, you know, they made videos for So Solid, Gareth Gates, you name it. In and around that period of time, they, yeah, they definitely worked with anyone of prominence. But I was a little rascal, innit? So <laughs> what he tried to do as best as he could was just keep me out of the streets and just get me on set as much as possible in one way or another. Right. Probably not realising that actually I'd probably take to it a little bit like a duck to water just because I just loved it. I was just like, you know, films and sets and, you know, you know, famous people and all that rubbish and musicians <laughs> and running around yeah. Soho. I just, you know, I just loved it. It was better than being in Neasden, which is where I'm from. Anyone, like, shout out to Neasden though, NW10. Um, but I just kind of got into it that way. So let's just say I took it seriously around 16, 17. Instead of like going and probably doing like a, you know, quote unquote normal job, I would go on set or I'd go into a production company of one or the other and just, yeah, and just try and work as hard as possible and get involved and just see how much trouble or interesting stuff I could get involved in. <laughs> um, but fast forward, getting an education properly and like coming back out of uni, I went and started at an edit house called Cut and Run. I loved editing. I was just like, it's amazing. But I knew I wasn't going to be an editor. I kind of wasn't that great um, because you have to be ridiculously punctual. I'm quite diligent about instructions, but being punctual every now and then when you work in Soho and you're like 21 and there's loads of nights out and there's loads of things to do, it can be quite hard being on time to things. So <laughs> we shook hands and then I left there and ended up at Partizan. Um and I was a runner from, and then from that moment, I was a runner at Partizan and I kind of steadily rose up the ranks and became, um, I became a director's rep whilst there. So I, I was a rep for animation directors. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my opinion, that is one of the hardest roles within production, I would say. Having to go to agencies who probably think you've come there to show them a lot of cool live action stuff. But I just tried to be as enthusiastic as possible and like always tried to make sure my presentation was like really, really cool and interesting. But I've got a good old friend called Tamsin Glasson, who is now living in LA, who used to run Colonel Blimp. And we bumped yeah. into each other once. Um, and she was like, would you think about swapping sides? Because at that point, Partizan and Blink were mortal enemies you know <laughs> man united and liverpool of production and you never you, you didn't you, it was very rare that you you know you crossed uh yeah you crossed sides but she convinced me and i started at colonel blimp tamzin was a real good like real interesting leader to work with she what i learned from her was that you just kind of have to be massively passionate if you want it to make like if you want to 
if you want to work at a company that does something, because Colonel Blimp was really, you know what they were like. They always did like unique stuff. It was a whole eclectic group of people. And then like you have the directors, Dougal Wilson, David Wilson, one in three, I think we had at the time. Um, we, mate, the roster was mad. <laughs> yeah, mad. Some great, great talent. Mad group of people to look after. But what I learned whilst being there was that you probably need to expand your mind a little bit, Nathan, to, <laughs> um, to compensate having to work with this group of individuals. Basically, I just worked as hard as possible to try and understand practically every element that I could in and around production, but also in and around, I suppose, directing in one way or another. I know that sounds a bit mad considering my cousin was a director, but I'd made a real conscious decision at that point in my life to not go down the directing path in any way, shape or form. I was like, that's for him. Um, <laughs> for me, I've always kind of been engineered to kind of support people in one way or another. And I've always been in a support, you know, when you're a runner, you're in a support role, aren't you? And then the, mm -hmm. the natural trajectory is that you become a PA, a PM, a producer, maybe, or you can be a, a director's assistant. So I assisted, you know, like a couple of good people. Like I would help out Daniel Wolf as, you know, as much as I could whenever he had projects on. Michael Gracie was a big influence. I loved helping him. And that was right. because of, um, my time working in the animation department. This was a partisan. A partisan, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so then all of that, you start to amalgamate all these kind of little job roles. And whilst it, and like I say, whilst it bling, Fred, for example, Fred Rosen, who we signed over there, I had like a great, still have a great relationship with, but we just used to work quite closely together. And so I think I just yeah. got lucky working with like a few directors there who were, on like a, an upwards trajectory, but weren't yeah. too big for me to have a bit of an input in. So I just started to learn, do you know what I mean? Treatments properly, you know, kind of, I suppose when you're writing something, what shot choices you need to put in and what things you need to leave, you know, open to interpretation. So on, you know, my days would be, you know, jam packed with like trying to make treatments work and I'm fiercely competitive as well. And again, because we had a bit of an ethos that was, you know, we were a bit different. I'd, it didn't matter that maybe we'd, we'd lose something because we're so different. I hated that. I was like, no, if we can make it, if we can, if whatever we are trying to put in front of someone has a certain language to it that people can understand, then there should be no reason why we shouldn't win a job. Do you know what I mean? So I think that was always the ethos at Colonel Blim. And that was always like our kind of, um, that was like my mission. Mm. But in the evenings, you always got to go out and meet people and try and explain all of this. I used to love meeting managers and I used to actually end up always just meeting artists face to face. Right. So it, I always found those conversations a lot easier. Do you know what I mean? Because you're just there and I'm just like, what do you want to do? What yeah. do you want? Like, what do you guys want? And I just ended up building a lot of good relationships just face to face and nights out and uh, just, you know, bumping into people. People would always remember, you know, remember me. But then Tamsin left and then the wonderful Paul Weston came in. Shout out Paul Weston. And um, and shout out Corinne Taylor. And we had Buck. That was the other thing to consider. We had a great team there. Yeah. Great, 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 great team. But so I, Paul was the exec producer and Corinne was the sort he was of... head of production. Head of production, yeah. Yeah. And I was like this floating crazy guy in the middle. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> kind of bring... 
the work in trying to sort of like help directors trying to figure out what the future was with regards to music and what maybe we should kind of be focusing on. But I didn't get bored. I just think we kind we got we had a really good year where we won loads of MVAs. Um and I think I did like a, a bit of an Alex Ferguson and I was like, get out now whilst you're at the top. <laughs> get out. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. James Hackett, shout out James Hackett. He had kind of put a droplet of an idea in my head and he was kind of like, you should probably try and commission something. And I was like, are you sure? It doesn't seem like my world. Um, but it turns out it was. <laughs> Why? Why did you make that transition to commissioning? And it was success. It's been successful, hasn't it? Um, very successful. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to see what was on the other side of the curtain, you know? These labels, man, they're like these huge you know, gigantic buildings with, at the time, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people running around. And like I said, I I think I was always a little bit um, intimidated by the structure of it all. The amount of people that protect an artist, do you know what I mean? The amount of people that it requires to put an album together. And I also think I was a little bit sceptical as well. I was like, well, you need all these people, what the fuck? But mm. just like on a film set, just like with a film, it does require a whole village. And I was curious about what that village actually did. So I, he got me a bit of an opening and I just took it straight away. And um, I think I did like a couple of jobs for Virgin. And then when I just, on the off chance, someone from Warner's, Jen Ivory, actually, sorry, no, you're someone, Jen Ivory, my hero, my, um, my mentor. That's the right word, isn't it? Yeah, so yeah. what is Jen's role at uh, Warner's? Because she's com herself commissioned some amazing videos she through, over a long period of time, isn't she? Absolute queen. Um, <laughs> she looked at me, some again, some loudmouth <laughs> chancellor <laughs> who's got, like, these tenuous links to, like, loads of people in and around music historically and present day. And she was like he might be able to do something interesting here. So she kind of gave me like this weird, this like kind of little temporary four month contract. Um, that again, I just kind of, I just took with, I grabbed with both hands and we've ended up just working on like some amazing stuff together. She remember we, she got me in the Royal Blood and I just supported her in that. And then there were things like Foles that she needed help with. And then it turned from like that to Liam Gallagher and yeah. then again, like the ball just started rolling. We just really like me and her just hit it off. She's an amazing human being. She's very compassionate to the fact that people have opinions and people have ideas and you have to work as a team and as much as you, and you have to treat that team like a family. So she just inducted me into this family. So it was really easy just to then kind of, I don't know, just be myself, I think. And yeah. be myself in front of, you know, the artists and kind of understand the dynamics and kind of understand the dynamics of a record label. It was, she did a really wonderful thing, actually, and this is crucial. She didn't give me a full-time job, <laughs> which sounds mad. She gave me a consultancy role, which meant that I could work with anyone in any other capacity that I wanted. Yeah. So I didn't just have to work for Warners. So as much as I had a family there, I met loads of people outside of that. 
very quickly, I just kind of, yeah, I built up a nice network of people to work with within the music industry. The video for Dave's question time, I think I was rereading the write-up on promo news and you said yeah. you fell into the directing chair, kind of like a happy accident for that. Can you give us a bit of background to how you moved into the directing chair? So like I say, so Jen's given me this consultancy role and I end up meeting loads of people here and there. But ironically, one of my best friends, Jack Street, He's got a best friend who's now one of my really good friends called Jack Foster, who is one half of the management of Dave. So Jack had introduced me to Jack and me and other Jack started playing football together through another mate called James. There's a lot of Jays. <laughs> a lot of Jacks and Jameses in this story. Jack, yeah. Jameses, Nathans and Tehys and Davids. But Jack used to, Jack Foster used to come and play football with me and James. Jack used to drive me home every now and then. And one night we'd, um, we were driving home and he was like, there's this guy who I'm, I think I want to sign. So like, who is he? He's like, he's called Dave. I was like, is that it? <laughs> Just Dave. Dave, nothing more. Um, he's like, yeah. And he showed me, he just on his phone, he just showed me this video. And the video I think was of Dave's freestyle for this platform called black box and it yeah. was insane it was like absolutely insane i was like it was it was articulate and it was cruddy and it was like it had it kind of had flow to it as much as it had like you know you know ounces of intelligence it just it was it was what a rapper should be and i was like right. my god you know like i really hope that you find him if ever you need help, whenever you sign, you know, when you, if, if, if you sign him and you need help making videos, just shout me, let me know. Yeah. Maybe a year later, I was in the label, Jack comes in and he was just literally having a conversation with my president about the same guy, Dave. And Dave, they've obviously signed him. Dave's stature had grown a little bit. And I think Dave had just released Wanna Know and then Drake had gone and jumped on that and done the remix, which then blew up and it all went crazy. And so I saw him, was like, what are you saying? What's going on? He's like, yeah, I'm just here to talk about Dave. I was like, ah, we have Dave, yeah, you know, it's all good. It was literally maybe like three or four weeks later, he called, he called me and was like, we've got to make a video for this track called 100 M's. We've got a director, but we just want to put a stronger and a bit more of a production team around him. And I was just like, come on, let's do this. <laughs> I think I just worked with Black Butter and I just commissioned Spirit. And that put me a bit more on the map in like the UK black music scene as a commissioner and as a bit more of a creative. Black Butter are a little bit ahead of the time, to be fair. And they, yeah. not, not that they got me in, <laughs> <laughs> but because they were always making, they were always trying to make videos of a certain standard. But at that point, I think I just made, or I'd helped them make Spirit. And then Jack got in touch about 100M. So I was like, look, Steph, you just produced a great job for, I think it was Hugo Jenkins. Come and help um, director Lex, director LX. Shout out Lex. Um, yeah. Let's try and put <clears throat> your team and see how far it can go so yeah we just we did that it's a great little video it really he really comes over really well and it obviously did great things for you know director lx as well it really yeah. sort of put him on the yeah. map didn't it yeah. yeah 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 it was yeah it was you know what it was like you say dave's personality came out it gave a chance for lex to really show his characteristics as a director as well and, and, you know, there was like a little actor in there. You know, there was like so many, there were, I remember that video was such a nice day. There were so many good moments, you know. We, I think, we, you know, we gave him a proper editor, I think. 
maybe he edited that himself. Because Lex is a great editor as well. Um, but we just did it properly. Um, and then it must have been two weeks later, I got an email from Jack again. And he was just like, all right, cool. We've got this seven minute kind of politically themed track um, called Question Time. Here it is. We've got X amount of money. Do you think you can help us kind of do the same thing again? And I was like, yeah, let's do it again. The, the only problem was, unfortunately, for, for on that video, I think Lex had then got low. A lot of people had started to inquire after him. And yeah. he was the, he started to write this idea for it. And then I think actually on Dave's side on, or the Dave camp were really insistent about shooting on a, on, a, on a particular date. When we had this date clash, I tried to get a couple of the guys on it. Um, but none of them could do it. <laughs> like, and then I went out and tried to look for a couple of other people. But no, like I'm talking literally. If you, it sounds mad to say it now, but I couldn't find the director for Dave in any way, shape, or form. How mad is that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially with that track as well. I don't know if it was the money or it was just like maybe it was the time frame. But yeah, me and Jack were on the phone to each other, and Jack just turned around and was like, "Why don't you just do it?" <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's not that simple, Jack. <laughs> yeah. Requires a mind a lot more broader than mine. Do you know what I mean? But he was like, what are you talking about? You know, the principle essentially is the same. You just have to, I suppose, be brave enough to do it. So I think I called Max and he was like, just do it. What did you learn from that uh experience? Or did it did it was it like water off a duck's back? I mean, did you feel, oh yeah. This is right. This is this is right for me. I remember I went out the night before <laughs> <laughs> on like um like my old mate's reunion. It like it just coincided that it was then. Do you know what I mean? And I mean we'd not seen each other for like ten years. So it was like, you know, Mandem, guys from school, a couple of Mandem from the ends, and we went to a pub in Soho and the first I remember walking in and all I saw on the table there were 12 of us, 12 times two, 24. There were 24 tequilas on the table. Oh. <laughs> this is the night before. This is the night before. before. No wonder you were looking for someone else to direct the video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, this video was like encroaching on my social life. It was a joke. Um, <laughs> but no, I remember the, in, during the actual day, I had spoken to Chris Wilson, the editor, because we needed like some assets which were going to get projected. And I remember just talking through the whole video with him and just remember feeling really calm after speaking to him because he's such a calm human being. And I remember mm. he was like, get off your fucking ass, go to the studio and just go and look at it and you'll feel much more comfortable. So I just got up, left Hackney, went all the way to the other end of London, went, um, went to Ealing, walked around the studio about 60 times. It's like one studio. I don't know why I needed to do that. And actually <laughs> just plotted it. You know, you know, you just plot everything out in your head. I was like, in that section, we can do this. This section, we can do that. I think I gave Stefan Yap a call. Shout out, Steph, who's an amazing human being. Um, and he calmed me it's down. DOP. DOP. Yeah, sorry, yeah. DOP. Grant, Grant, Sandy Phillips was my steady cam. I remember I was genuinely nervous. I, because also, you've got to remember, listen to the song. You're like, how is this come? How is all of this coming out of this twenty-year-old's mouth? Do you know what I mean? He might have even been nineteen at the time, and I was just like, 
yeah, he, you got to just do this justice because you got to do him justice. And also in some ways you got to do yourself justice because you've always been running around the film industry and the music industry, maybe avoiding this moment. And now the moment's come. So as much as I was calming myself down by talking to everyone, I was also giving myself a whole load of anxiety about building it back up in my head about how important this moment was. Hence the reason why I went off and drunk 24 tequilas with the lads. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Got massively drunk, went home and then woke up the next day. And yeah, we shot the video. And I remember walking around the studio again, first thing in the morning. And I kind of thought, if I just left now, what would happen? <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, it was a serious question in my head. I was like, what would happen? It's like, you can't leave now. They'll get on with it. They'll call you about 20,000 times, but they'll have to get on with it. Um, but I was like, that's not how this works. You've got to kind of just do this, bro. So let's just go off and do it. Yeah. And I, honestly, the minute we said, you know, action the first time, I was fine after that. <laughs> yeah. It was really just all the building it up in your head, isn't it? Just kind yeah. of you get yourself anxious about things, but when, when you get started, it's it's fine. I remember when when we finished the edit, Dave was like, all right, you got to put your name on it. I was like, oh, and, you know, like back in, like I come from, a, you know, the, the, this other side of making music videos where directors don't really do that. But in, mm. in, in, the, in the rap world, directors do that. You know, I think it was always, it's a bit of a, you know, like the artist showing love to the fact that you've got to help them make something cool for them. Do you know what I mean? As much as like you know, the, you know the music producer's name gets put on the on the video as well, so they get shown some love. Yeah, Dave was like, "Put your name on it," and I was like, "Okay, cool, put your name on it." <laughs> um, and then I kind of thought, do you know what? I, I genuinely thought that'd be the end of it. To be fair, I remember the video came out on a Monday night, and I went to go and see Black Panther. I was walking to the cinema, and the video dropped at seven, and my phone just started going slightly crazy because obviously. Someone had uploaded the Insta, the Insta link um, and my name was... And then random people from the industry were like, what the fuck? You've made a video, Nate. You're, what? You've made a video. You've made a video. You've made a video. You've made a video. <laughs> yeah, that was me as well. It was you as well. <laughs> it went up on Promo News and I was like, shit. Cat's out the bag. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I, re I genuinely didn't think that I'd do it again for a long, long while. And then like a week later, Jack Foster was like, got another video. <laughs> I was like, what is it now? He was like, we've got this track called No Words. It's Dave and another guy called Mo Stack. Can you help us make it? I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you want to do? And they were like, we, all we know is that we want to go to the Blue City in Morocco. And I was like, okay, cool. That never happened. We ended up shooting it in a house in Kensington. Um, <laughs> A little bit different. <laughs> Massively different. But it was what just a nice day. house. It was a really lovely house, that house. <laughs> I love that house. I mm. love that because, again, and do you know what? The only reason why it happened again was because it was, I was just thrown in the deep end. And I just react well to being thrown in the deep end. If I have too much time to think about anything, I procrastinate. I'll overthink it. It gets quite long. Um, there's a method to... It, it, that not becoming a negative problem, you know, becoming a problem, but I'm still yet to work it out. Um, that's why I think actually directing and commissioning and, you know, somewhat being a, a creative solutions person works well for me because I 
continuously have to keep something kind of moving in my head in one way or another. Um, but yeah, no words happened. We shot that, that came out. And then actually within the scene, then I think that was when people really, that really punctuated that I could do something a little bit different. And I got a lot of phone calls after that. A good guy called Ricky um, called me up. Ricky Blue, Ricky Blue called me up and was like, I'll come and meet Wizkid. And I went and met Wizkid in a studio in South London. And Wizkid played me three tunes and was like, you can pick any three of these tunes and just like write an idea. And I was so overwhelmed that I just couldn't write the idea. Because I was just like, what? Why am I writing stuff for Wizkid? I just took ages. And, and again, it was that thing. He said, you got as long as you want, just write anything. And I procrastinated. And then I ended up not writing anything. <clears throat> and I kind of just gave it a bit of a wide berth for a little bit until Dave then called me up again and was like, look, we got to make a video for Funky Friday. Are you ready? And I was like, I'm ready, Dave. Because he's become like a real collaborator. Obviously, he's become a real collaborator and he often gets co-director credit on the videos, right? So that's... That's, Yeah, he's... That guy's my brother for life. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't have any siblings. Max is my... Oh, really? Yeah, none. Can't you tell? (laughs) (laughs) It hadn't occurred to me, to be honest, but now you mention it. (laughs) Not a time in my hands, you know? Like, single mum, just me and mum. My mum's been, like, the most supportive person in my entire life. You know, she didn't ever try and um, regiment me, like, in any way, shape, or form. She probably did want me to be a lawyer or a doctor, but once she knew that was <laughs> fucking happening, she was just like, look, just go, mm-hmm. what you need to do, just don't get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> in whatever you do, do you know what I mean? But Dave, you know, it for me, is like a sibling. He's not a sibling you've got to talk to every day, but he's a sibling you have to understand. And he's one you've got to allow to express themselves, even though I would say vocally, he's not the most expressive person outside of music. You know what I mean? Like he'll, he's a whisper in your ear kind of guy rather than shout out kind of guy. He, he can definitely hold the attention of a crowd, you mm-hmm. know, again, you know, when not on stage, but he's, he's quite a, a gentle but quite assertive human being. And I kind of, I don't know if I clocked that straight away. I just, I, but I think we just have always had an understanding. Yeah. But trust, I think be- really began after Funky Friday. Um, he had an idea and it was like, how much of this can you bring to life and what else can you bring to it? And it was like, all right, cool. Leave me to try and find all the bits and pieces to bring this to life. And you just stay focused on what you think you want to see, what you want to see. Do you know what I mean? And we'll meet in the middle. But that even was a family collaboration. Found Lex again, I remember actually. And I was like, Lex, look, we'll do like, you do second unit. I'll trust, I'll try and do primary. Got, you know, got, um, uh, what do you call his face? Stefan was back in, back on board. It was the biggest amount of money they had spent on the music video at that point. I won't say how much money we spent. It wasn't in relation to, you know, how much money people do spend on videos. It wasn't that much. But there, it was a lot of money for them to spend. But that was the moment where I think we really, really connected. Do you know what I mean? And I actually thought, oh, fuck, I really can do this somewhat. We made that. Then we made... So from Funky Friday, we did that. Then we did Black, which meant that we spent even more money because we went to Nigeria. And then Dave brought Edem in, actually. And we worked as a trio on That's that. That's Edem Warnu. Edem. Big Edem. Shout out Edem. Beautiful yeah. human being. 
Um, um, he's a lot that of- really was a family affair, wasn't it? I mean, as well as you, there was lots of um, cameo parts, Raheem Sterling, Dina Asher-Smith. Tiffany Calvert's in that. Dina Asher-Smith is in that. Um, yeah. Damson Idris is in that. There's so Damson, excuse me, is in that. You know, fuck. There were so many different things that had to happen on that video. There could have been so much friction that could have broken us as a family, but actually I think it kind of, it bound, it binded us together. It bound us, excuse me, together. Then we yeah. did Streatham after that, which is like the homecoming. Stefan again, family affair. I meet Jomar, actually, my current DP for the first time on that shoot. Um, shout out, Jomar. Then after that, and then, and then there's a big gap, actually, where I think Psychodrama comes out and, yeah, he just kind of, yeah, then, shit, what happened after that? It's not COVID. I think the pandemic happened after that, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think COVID would do it. <laughs> Something to do with COVID. In one way or another. But basically, yeah. But you moved on. That, we you got... moved on to other projects, though, didn't you? I did. I met Heady One after that, actually. Um, through Dave. Through through Dave. They made a song called, was it? Uh, 18 Hunter. Oh, God. Yeah. And... Dave was featuring on it. Benny and Jack had recommended me as a director to Lloyd, um, Heddy's A&R. Lloyd, shout out Lloyd, um, Lloyd Murray. Yeah, and Lloyd just thought, yeah, probably a good thing to get Nathan on board because it will make they feel comfortable. He's a half-decent director. He probably won't fuck it up. And it will be good for <laughs> Heddy to probably work with someone different. And, and yeah, I, I don't even think there was that much time on that one and I didn't procrastinate. I actually sat down, wrote the idea properly, had a bit of a concept and sent it to the label and they loved it and we made a really good video. So we did that and then Hedy kind of was like, well, why don't you do another one? But simultaneously, I think at that point I was helping Jen commission for Liam Gallagher. Yeah, and I remember I was in Budapest sitting there in this hotel room because we were shooting the video for Liam in Budapest, just writing this idea for Hedy. And I was like, what the fuck could you do? Um, and I sat there the whole night, yeah, and just came up with some weird idea about living two lives. One life where you're in the hood and the other life where you live in, like, you know, the trappings of, like, having money. And then I reduced it down a little bit and just kind of made it into a bit of a rap idea. And, yeah, they were like, yeah, cool, do this. And gave me some money. I did that. And then they gave me some more money and I made a couple more videos for Hedy. Simultaneously, I think I focused a little bit more on working with rap artists and, um, in the black music space to try and to try and help them spend their money a lot more efficiently within the film space. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, who's the suit? So uh, this is a sort of as a commissioner or yeah. so what missed you did it. LX video, very nice LX video. Oh, sorry, yeah. he directed Cemetery Walks. Yeah. Um, Parsaloo. Parsaloo. You know, I've had a hand in sort of like making that kind of happen. Meets and Frost. Shout out Oxy, who was the market manager on that. And we just kind of worked as a team to try and give Par what he wanted and elevate him as best as possible. Hold on, who else is there? Fuck, I was commissioning. Jay Huss was commissioning a bit yeah. for him. We did like a few videos together for him. God, and obviously he had missed. I'm trying to think. 
the well, people maybe we should get on to uh, Getz, and obviously that was a long-awaited record. And um, you commissioned um, some videos on that, and then directed uh, the Skeng Man video, which is a bloody excellent video, Nathan. Yeah, <laughs> bloody great. And very right. unique as well. Tell us about Getz. He came into the label with Lloyd, funny enough. So Lloyd, Heady One Lloyd, was then is now at Warner's. And he walked Getz. Every, basically, he was like, I think Getz is going to come and sign at Warner's. And I was like, what the actual fuck? Get <laughs> Like, ghetto. Do you know what I mean? Like, the legend. And you got to be careful with like that word, especially in, in, in rap, because you could perceive someone to be past their moment when you call someone a legend. Whereas Getz is not that in any way, shape or form. He's actually one of the most contemporary human beings that I've ever met. He's, 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 I always felt that he, his genius had been cloaked to the wider public. And I think Lloyd thought precisely the same thing. And the mission I, I said pretty much to everyone was if we get gets through the door, we have to figure out a way of revealing his genius to as many people as possible, but as quickly as possible. And we've probably got to cover as, as much ground as possible in a very short space of time. So, so he signed, which was sick. And then me, Oatsy, Malika, and Lloyd just fucking got stuck in to trying to figure out how do you reveal this guy to, yeah, the wider audience. I can't remember what you're talking about, but I remember talking to him about Rough Mercy and I was like, Rough Mercy. Rough Mercy. Shout out to Rough Mercy. Shout yeah. out to fucking <laughs> guest on the podcast. Yeah. You've done one with him, haven't you? Yeah. 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 Russ. Russ Murphy. Russ. How simple is that? <laughs> He's that great. Is so genius and simple. But Russ, Ruff, we had a conversation once and he, do you know, he believed in what we were trying to do. And once we had him, I think we had a roadmap onto how you can peel back the layers of someone as an artist. So the first video was Mozambique, wasn't it? Which is pretty much full animation over yeah. live action. Then Hector shot IC3, which we then did kind of the same thing as well, but it had a bit of um, a bit, but you could you could make out who Getz was alongside Skepta. And then we yeah. had this kind of ominous... That's uh, Hector Dockerel, isn't it? Who's Hector Dockerel, yeah, 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 over at Pulse. Um, and then, yeah, we had like a bit of um, them, and, and we were quite happy. We were like, we're in a good position. We're happy with where we are. By that point, I think me gets Daniel and Trenton. So Daniel Tuffin and Trenton um, are his managers. And we had a bit of like, we were becoming a bit of a team as well. They brought us all in to listen to Conflict of Interest. And they were like, listen to it. Now, what do we think the plan is? And within, in the room, all of us, we were like, all right, cool. Proud Family is where you need to go next. Then show that you can go toe-to-toe with one of the biggest artists in the world in terms of scale, i.e. Stormzy on Skengman. And then for the youngers out there, do No Mercy with Parcelou and Backrow G. 
And then anything else after that is a bonus. But that's going to be the running order. So it's like, all right, cool. Let's get a pot of money, shoot all of this shit in one big fucking go and just see where we end up. Because that's probably the best way to do this rather than, do you know what I mean? Trying to get people, you know, one day and this, that and the other. You know, the label had yeah. only as much money as they could really, you know, throw at, you know, what was quite a risky venture at the same time as well. But they, you know, resources as best as we could. And with, you know, like, a, you know, trying a few things here and there, you know, we kind of made it all work. But whilst we got that plan together, then gets us like, yeah, I want you to direct Skengman and Proud Family. And I was like, what the fuck? I hadn't planned for that. <laughs> He was like, yeah, come on, we can just do it. And I was like, actually, my my actual plan was for you to take on that role. When we'd initially talked, spoken about everything, I really want to get to direct all of his shit. Because so I was just like... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, no one can tell this story better than you. But he did kind of take that on, but he just embodied it in a different way. So Proud Family, the split screen, he was like, I want to do something where I show two sides of my life. And I was like... We could do a split screen where we just run both stories simultaneously. It was like, yeah, that can work. So then we worked out what that story would be. Then he was, then we were talking about Sin City for fucking ages for some reason around Sin yeah. Man. And I was like, well, we can give it the, the, the texture and the look of that, but do we want to make it as ultra violent as, you know, as that film? And he was like, now nah, let's kind of give it give it the texture of that and give it a bit of a storyline and a narrative, but let's make it a little bit more relatable. Do you know what I mean? Within the, within yeah. like the, the, you know, the rap music space. Shout out to Sam Mayer, actually, because he was a DP on that. And then obviously shout out to Joe Mar O'Malley, my brother for life. He was the DP on Proud Family. So the day right. before, yeah. So we shot Proud Family on the Friday where Getz and all of his people kind of came down. That's not his real family, by the way. That was, a group of actors that we cast. Um, but actually, a lot of his friends came down. Oh, shit, no, it was a mixture of both. Yeah, it was a mixture of actors and then actually his friends and family. And then, because um, those are actually his real kids in the video. And then immediately the next day, we shot Skengman. And you know what? Um, I remember Getz walked on set on Skengman. I could see that his energy was different. We, we, we've got like quite a... We've got, we've got quite a similar energy, me and Getz, I would say. Mm. Um, so when you know something's wrong with him, you can just spot it straight away. And I was like, what's up? And ironically, after shooting a video for Proud Family, his grandma died literally that night. Oh, no. Yeah, it was really, really dark. Um, and he had literally left set and he had gone to go and see her. And she was, yeah, she had passed maybe an hour after he had gone to see her. Oh, my and God. Then, he turned up at 10 a.m. the next day and was like, look, we've got we've got something to do here and we've shot the video for Proud Family, so at least we can dedicate that to her. So let's just finish the job here and do what we have to do. So he shot, yeah, the whole day. He, he wow. literally didn't drop a scene, nothing. He was in the zone and we did um, we did Skangman. And then he took the Sunday and then he was back on the Monday. But I think family is kind of the theme of what... Since you've known... Since I've disappeared from you know, like the film production side of things and going into music, I've tried to figure out who's the family that I can keep relying on or calling on to try and elevate anything that I get involved in in and around this space. Because like I say, I think 
there's a lot of doors within the black music space that have never been opened to some artists, some managers, some producers, whoever. And I think I've just got very kind of obsessed with trying to bridge that gap, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and But I've been trying to do that, you know, within like a bit of a family construct, going and always sort of working with the same people and trying to keep a lot of consistency in and around, you know, like the teams I work with. And yeah, we, we finished, sorry, we finished No Mercy on the Monday and then we just edited everything and did all the VFX for everything all at one time. Showed them all to our president at Warner's who was fucking blown away. Um, and then we dropped them one by one. By one. So the plan worked. It worked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and it, that sort of, I mean, I was going to ask about your role as a creative, creative director. Presumably that's what that is, is it? I mean, because, you know, you, you're sort of like, you're creating a strategy over, you know, a whole, the whole, obviously the whole campaign and then you've, and you've actually delivered it. Um, and it doesn't always happen like that as we well know. (laughs) Yeah, it fucking doesn't often. (laughs) (laughs) I get really annoyed when I feel like people don't get the things they deserve. And I've always tried to figure out why that is. If you put the hours in, you should deserve to get, you know, you should reap the rewards. But that's not how, you know, but there are gatekeepers in this world, isn't it? There are people who sit in certain positions that just decide. And I'm like, nah, I'll be as vocal as possible Sometimes, you know, like this, where, you know, you say something or I would just work out the system and work out how to get around it. So the gatekeeper becomes redundant. And all that should matter is the fact that someone who deserves it gets the things that gets the resources they deserve. And then after that, they can make a good show of it. So I think the Gets project is a good, Gets and Dave is a very good example of that, I would say. And Heady, all of it. It's like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't settle for the idea that they don't deserve equally as good a chance at, you know, presenting themselves as, you know, as like a Liam or, you know, a, a, an Adele or a fucking yeah. whoever. Look how, you know, you can just see if you give, if you give people the platform that they deserve, other people will respond. And like I say, I I think that's where my mind is always kind of working. That's why I can't call myself like a a sole director because I can't sit in that space when I know there are other things that I can put my mind to, to try and help people, you know, to try and help deliver what an artist wants in one way or another. To kind you know, and not just an artist, like a manager, even a label, do you know what I mean? Like, like I say, I, I'm looking, I'm always trying to uncode the code. Just let an artist like Getz have all the things that he should have. He got nominated mm-hmm. for a fucking Mercury. I was like, that made me, that almost made me cry. I was like, because that's quite tangible as like what you put in, you get out. He didn't win, but he, that's all right. Like he was at the table with Arlo Parks, Lauren Bula. Yeah. Who else is at the Mercury's this year? You know, a whole host of, like, wonderful people. Who, <coughs> you know, shout out to Arlo Parks for winning, but I wanted us to win. But <laughs> <laughs> Of course you did. 
He's in the conversation. Dave is in his own individual conversation. I can't, I can't say that solely down to what we've done. I think he was always going to make that leap into stardom anyway. But as he was a lot easier to understand given the kind of visuals that you know we've made over the years. I think the the, the thing that I've got good at, if you then think about this whole conversation. The thing I'm good at is the conversation. Like I can talk to, you know, in one way or another, I can speak to people. And because I'm a, like, I am an only child, you know what I mean? You're just forced, aren't you? I've always got the knife in my back to make sure that I communicate in one way or another. And whether that's my opinion or I have to like extrapolate someone else's ideas or opinions or thoughts or wants or needs, that's probably what, I'm on all like I've got an automatic kind of um, reflex to try and do that in one way or another. If you've got an education of working at a great, amazing French production company and having to really voice your opinions when you're there, because that's what a lot of the producers and a lot of the people there made me do, as much as the directors that were there, and especially Dan Wolf and especially Max as well. They made me do that. I was quite quiet. So this is a this is a back at back in the day at Partisan. Back in the day, I was, trust me, I was quiet when I was you young. quiet? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I used to walk with my head down a little bit and, you know, I was just trying to get through the streets. Do you know what I mean? And I was, and that, I, my back got straightened. And as my back got straightened, I then started to see the world a lot more and started to understand, you know, a lot of things that I, I never really looked at before. Do you know what I mean? I still think I'm a slightly naive to certain dangers of the world. Do you know what I mean? But I'm always trying to face them face to face in one way or another, because I think I'm quite sensitive, like I said, to things that are wrong. So instead of kind of standing on the sidelines, I'll just use, and then I've got a loud voice as well. And you notice that that loud voice, when you're a director, gets everyone moving in the same director um, direction. But also if I've got something to say, then people tend to fucking listen in some weird way. So I might as well just say it, otherwise I'll live with the regret of not saying it. You're listening to the Promo News Podcast, talking music videos in association with Loop Talent. Make sure to subscribe on your favourite platform to hear more in the series. You returned to directing Freddo with Flowers in the Snow. How did that, um, well, the video, how did the video come about? Uh, his manager, Dion, shout out to Dion, just asked, said, was like, excuse me, was like, we've got this track. Um, there was meant to be another artist on it. And unfortunately, that artist couldn't appear. They were like, yeah, well, I think we're going to try and shoot this. And Fred was like, I want to just live in one world where it's snow and another world where it's kind of, it's weed, basically. You understand yeah. what I mean? And you understand, yeah. and they represent two things, don't they? Um, they do. Yeah. Yeah, they really, really do. Art, you know, art direction is a really, really, really big thing for me. And... That's the other reason why I get so passionate about making sure that you get the right resource when you're making rap videos because <laughs> art directors need fucking money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, plain and simple. Like, their imaginations are even more wild than mine. We found some good money for that one. And, you know, like, it took a couple of, like, goes in terms of, like, you know, going back and forth with art director about what we really, really needed. But I just wanted Fred to walk into a world where, undeniably, he was like, yeah, this is sick. <laughs> um, 
and we kind of got there in the end. We didn't, we didn't even talk that much. I like Fred, not because he doesn't talk that much, just because he is really forthright about what he wants to see. So, for example, right. like when we did the edit, I did an edit first time round, and he just called me up straight away and was literally like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? He was in Greece at the time, so we were doing it. It was quite techy because we were doing it via voice note, and he was sending me video clips and this, that, and the other. So I just misinterpreted what he wanted. But... Um, right. He's another, he's like, you have to have that relationship with a rap artist. Like, you know, like with other artists, like an indie artist or whoever, you can kind of go off with the video and go and do what you need to do with it and come back. And they're like, oh, yeah, cool. That's quite sick. Maybe management will have a bit of an opinion. But yeah. when you work in the rap music space, expect your artist to literally either be in the edit room with you, like a Dave, um, or you're going to get like real time feedback. You know what I mean? Because yeah. they've got a vision in their head so you end up being the kind of director that helps finesse something from it probably being very untidy to something that actually makes sense and translates and that's kind of what happened in fact actually that happened a bit in reverse with this because yeah I think actually Fred taught me a couple of lessons on that when that one where I think I'd probably I, I love chopping shit up do you know what I mean but actually sometimes it requires something. Sometimes things require a little bit more time for an audience to look yeah. at. And that was one of those videos. So yeah, a massive art direction, that one. We went to a madhouse in Park Lane. Um, right. That had a swimming pool downstairs. And what else is in that house? There was a lot of weird shit in that house. I'm not going to lie. I think that's, that sort of brings us to, to the return of Dave uh, mm. for Verdansk. It also has this considered feeling about it. You know, there's each shot is it, it, nothing is too quick. You realize that it works really well in just allowing the space for him and what he's saying. Tell us, tell us about Verdansk. Rob, what do you think about it? I think it's stunning. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I revisited it today and it's just so different. Like the, the war zone theme it's, it's very aesthetically pleasing i think similar to the way that you built that world in uh freddo's um recent video and obviously the location kind of just elevates it even more just before we did for dansk i got a phone call from jack again <laughs> this is how it happens <laughs> COVID has happened, hasn't it? I couldn't see that Dave was going to bring an album out again as quickly as he had has done. And then I just got this phone call. No. Then there was an Instagram post from Dave where I just saw he had a pair of headphones on and he was like, I'm working. And I was like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> then immediately he dropped Titanium and Mercury. And I was like, I was stunned by the quality of those two songs. Um, one of them had a wonderful artist called Kamal on it. And Foster called me up and was like, Ruby, his manager slash, you know, everything to Kamal is going to call you about helping us with um, making a video for Kamal. I was like, bless, let's go and do that. And we made this little video where we went round Dover basically and just found all these really nice spots and shot this video. And I, it was the family thing was happening again. Do you know what I mean? So then Foster then called me up again. I was in Nigeria with Mist. 
we were trying to make a video with Mr. Burner Boy. We, I'm talking, we were getting up to all sorts of madness in, in Nigeria. I remember I was ironing some jeans in Nigeria. <laughs> and the phone rings. I'm like, Jack, what are you saying? And he's like, look, we've got like this kind of, we're making this huge video for Dave and Stormzy. I was like, all right, what do you need me to do? As you can see in that video, the fucking idea is huge. And I think all they needed, like, in one way, was just a bit more support and some friendly faces just to kind of, I suppose, just be like, yeah, that'll work. Do you know what I mean? Because I think they had everything in hand. But we've always kind of had this family kind of ethos in and around everything um, over recent years that, do you know what I mean? Like my face in some way, shape or form just needed to be present, I suppose. You know, Stormzy and everyone's there and we've got all the dancers and Aston Martin opened up the doors for them, you know, for Dave. And it was fucking amazing. And it was, and what was nice standing there and just watching it all kind of unfold and kind of just thinking, thank God I don't have to, do you know what I mean? Do any of this, do you know what I mean? But on the sidelines, as in, you know, direct it, but on the sidelines, fucking, I can't remember when Dave was like, we're going to do Vedansk. I've missed out a massive part, which is when actually Dave called me and told me to come to the studio and he told me the whole theme of the album. So I was completely wrong in, you know, in and around that time that we'd all been off. He'd been working his fucking ass off and he'd made We're All Alone in This Together with, you know, help from all of his mates. He'd taken the whole ethos of it this time was completely different. He really wanted to sort of produce it with his friends um, who are his family, um, you know, he, and I think he was kind of going through the same ethos for the videos as well. So obviously that's why we were all kind of there in a very, in a, in bigger or different capacities. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so they shot Clash, Clash comes out, it does what it needs to do. And then I did Flowers in the Snow in between. And then on the second day of shooting Flowers in the Snow, Dave just turned up. I was like, what are you saying? <laughs> like, what are you doing it? He was like, oh, I've just, I can't even remember what you said. He'd just come to see Fredo and he'd come to say hi. I kind of think, I kind of wanted, I think he was having a little nose around just to see that I still had it in one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I remember at the end of the shoot, he was like, all right, cool, the dance. We've got to do that. And we, yeah, then we... So how did you develop the idea? Do you, do you work together with him on, um, does he have an idea, he comes to you and you back and forth it, or how does it work? There can be no other way. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. he, he had an idea that was like this five-page kind of treatment that had a bit of a, it was a bit of a guideline of what we needed to see. After that, I was like, this is what it can be. And then he kind of says yay or nay. But he decided to do this right when he has made the most seminal bit of work ever in his life, I would say, with that album. So he's he's going to drop this amazing album. And I mean, it's like the whole world just exploded around him, I would say, again. It's like you kind of have to kind of be slightly telepathic about what you think someone needs and what you think, you need to lead on. Do you know what I mean? But this time around, we didn't talk that much in and around for dance. We only, the only thing that we really got into it about was I wanted to do a skydiving scene at the beginning. And he was like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Which was the right thing to not do. (laughs) Maybe, Um, yeah. So you did, did the frogman instead. Did the frogman instead. 
Um, but we had troubles trying to shoot in the UK just because it's expensive here at the moment. You want to make something of quality given kind of slightly limited resources. It ain't easy. Impossible. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty, pretty much. So we kept on going around the houses and coming, you know, two plus two would equal 168,000 fucking pounds. Like, <laughs> like, it can't be this hard. It cannot be this hard. Mike, Heath, my producer, it can't be this fucking hard. And Mike would go, it's not that hard. Why is it this hard? And do you know what COVID makes you forget? You can leave the fucking country and go and shoot somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's been going on for quite a long time, hasn't yeah, it? I mean, I mean people have been going to Kiev, Kiev for yeah. a good number of years. And now uh, you you shot this in Bulgaria, which is kind of like, is that becoming the new target for uh, for British music videos to You've find to somewhere Bulgaria. exotic? Have you been to Bulgaria? No. no. It's like... What's the the capital? Sofia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sofia feels like it's in the middle of like what can only be like you know like a a, a round group of mountains. So it's like it's like this huge place just covered in like an amazing landscape. I don't really know. Like it's got a very different kind of energy and environment to it, and the people. The men are made out of clay. The, <laughs> the women are wonderful. All the people are wonderful, but no one looks the same in any way, shape or form. But they are <laughs> fucking um, some of the nicest people and the hardest working people I've ever met on a film set. We had three options. We were either going to shoot in Lithuania, Kiev or Bulgaria. And we got given like decks for each of those locations. Now, I showed them all to Dave and I was like, it's up to you. We did a phone call where I kind of talked through all the positive and positives and negatives of all of the places. And then I just went off. And I remember just kind of sitting there deep late. We had like a week to go before we could definitely, definitely shoot this video. And I was like, ah, do you know what? I don't think this is going to happen now. I think it's all going to feel too risky. And then my phone just went, doo -doo. and it was like one word from Dave and he just said, Bulgaria. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> and we just had like seven, we had seven days, David, Rob, do you know what I mean? <laughs> to put that fucking video together. And Jesus. we did. Isn't that always the way, or not always the way, but it's often the way you have like no time. Yeah. Get the reproduction. Out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got no time to do anything in this world anymore. Do you know what I mean? This is the thing that annoys me because you, we all know Time is the critical and key factor in what you need in what you need to make something more than it should be given the resources that you have. Yeah. So you've got one hand tied behind your back all the time, either you know, by not having enough money or not having enough time. But if you don't have enough, if you don't have enough of those two things, then you've got to have the very best people in and around you because they know how to react to not having both of those things in abundance. Does that make sense? Makes yeah. total sense, yeah. The studio is called New Boyana. The production company is called B2Y. Sick. I'm talking 
they have got like a Hollywood level-ish kind of studio hidden in Sofia. I shouldn't even give it away. It's a bit of a secret, but it's probably not that much of a secret. <laughs> but, people are finding out, I think. People are finding out. But um, <laughs> once we figured out we could lean on them and we figured it out after the very, very first phone call with them, the rest was pretty much history. I was always, even Dave, and I know that guy, he was like, he's just got a skeptical look in his eye about certain things. But we landed, we landed on the Sunday afternoon. We saw all the locations by about nine o'clock that evening. We landed at two, we saw the locations by nine. We all went to bed at one in the morning. We were then all back up by six in the morning. And our first shot was the, you know, the red helicopter shot. Um, and we kind of just went from there. We just trusted everyone around us. And because we had gone and looked at, you know, we had the, all these beautiful, lo- not beautiful locations, but really, you know, really strong locations and really strong team. We had this really strong team around us. and We had a real idea or a sense of what we wanted to shoot. It then um, really influenced how the final film was going to play out. And Dave's obviously just done Clash with Edom and that is flashy and there's like Louis Vuitton everywhere and there's Matt Nem and there's 20 fucking or 30 Aston Martins, this, that and the other. This was about something different. This was just like, nah, let's slow everything down. Let everyone just breathe in what we've done and just kind of see what the response would be. Do you know what I mean? And make a bit of a film out of it. He, yeah. look at him. He's a, he's a little film star as much as he is a music star. <laughs> no, he totally is, yeah. He totally is. He, he could definitely have a career. He probably will do, won't he? And what is interesting about him is that he's multifaceted in how that can be given to an audience. It's not always so in your face. Sometimes it's quite subtle. Um, his... Yeah, very much so, yeah. And I think even though we've got, like, fucking Malinois dogs and machine guns and fucking explosions actually that video is quite subtle that's kind of the surprising thing about it you think you, you kind of use those elements that are usually oh we got it these are got to be the big things and it's like they're the main things but actually they just kind of um help just just kind of frame it yeah yeah um, like, he you know like at the end of the day I have to face up to one fact, which is whether I like it or not, I kind of do like directing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and with Dave, as, as much as with Dave, with everyone who I've worked with, but him especially, it's better that you give him some direction and enjoy what doing that. Because he's going to question it no matter what. If you stand back and let him get on with what he wants to get on with, that's probably stupid it's like do you know what i mean letting getting a ferrari and just letting it drive itself what's the point you're never gonna <laughs> do, that. do you know what i mean you're always gonna put your foot down and try and get this thing to 180 mile an hour and it's the same working with him you just can't do it all the time you can't just go at 180 mile an hour constantly for an hour the whole point of having a ferrari is that you go and bend round corners and do you know what i mean like you understand the power and the control something you've just got to figure out where you push down on the pedal and where you just kind of let it drive itself. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And yeah, sure. That's sure. the journey. Verdansk is for us, I definitely for me as a director, if we're going to call me that, 
That is that moment. There are little things in that video that I still am very angry about, but it doesn't matter because you lot can't see them. Do you know what I mean? We have done our collaborative job, I would say, in that video to our ultimate peak, that it's the film that I think everything that we've... You watch everything that we've done together, it's all in there in one way or another. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How we've kind of tailored performance over the years, how we've tried to like work with VFX over the years, how we've tried to like work with live practical effects over the years. And it was probably like the most enjoyable video as a director that... Ask anyone on that set though, they'll probably, they will tell you a completely different story. I was a shivering wreck. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was like two days, presumably, was it? Again, you know, better that it was two days instead of four days, which we probably would have loved. Better it was two days just to keep moving all the way through it and not have time to breathe rather than have too much time and, you know, like I say, overcomplicate things. And I, I, and it's like one of them moments, I think, now that I've got to this point in, you know, this varied career where I was like, oh, shit, I actually really like doing this. <laughs> yeah. so you, okay, we got it probably, out of you. Yeah. <laughs> because you've been so invested in music videos mm. for, you know, a long time and, you know, you're so committed to the the medium and the artwork and the art form and so how do you see it the bigger picture is it becoming more diverse and and more inclusive of different backgrounds races how do you think about feel about music videos right now as a whole precisely what i said earlier which is all right so we always probably knew what was going to happen towards the end of lockdown. The, you know, the relaxing rules meant that you could really go for it, you know, in terms of shooting. There was just going to be a content explosion towards the back end of summer this year, which meant that the obvious thing happened. You know, people want high demand means high prices. Where music videos sits in and around the hierarchy, the bullshit hierarchy of, of film means that like we get hit the worst or music videos gets hit the worst. It's like, do you know how fucking hard people are working to try and make amazing creative pieces of work and content or art or whatever you want to call them, given the patents that you are usually given to make a music video. But this time period is different because all the key technicians are fucking busy on other things. And yeah, many, commercials, films, whatever, TV. Commercials, yeah. like, the commercials have exploded even more now, whether they're good commercials or shit ones. You've got like <laughs> endless, you know, endless platforms now that needed to be that need to be injected with new content as quickly as possible, whether it's good content or shit content. The trick was always that you could get a DP worth their salt to really believe in your vision and uh, come and work with you within the music yeah. video space for an artist that maybe they believed in, maybe they didn't, you know. And, you know, you run concurrently with, like, your art director, this, that, and the other. But it's not even their fault anymore. They're, like, literally just getting offered amazing money, obviously, on stuff that means that it's hard to have a fighting chance to try and do a dance once a month. Does yeah. that make sense? But yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. going to run alongside everyone else. 
So I think right now, it's an amazing time because I think we've actually got a great spectrum of people that can still make music videos. Do you know what I mean? It was interesting looking at the, you know, the nominations this year. It was like, it felt like there was a good kind of interesting crop of people who were yeah. in there. I didn't get nominated for shit, but I don't give a fuck because <laughs> my time will come. And I think you have to remember that shit in this game. Do you know what I mean? If you were really committed to the music video space, to the music space, it's like, it comes in waves, all of this. But I think this wave right now could be slightly detrimental to a, like a wonderful spectrum of people who deserve a little bit more help in and around like how they can make music videos. And then that kind of probably leads me on to like the diversity within like, the only way you can really judge it, Dave, is like, like you know you've got a responsibility to show a wider group of videos, basically, on the platform, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? And yeah. that means you and Rob and everyone else over at Promo News and whoever work at, you know, the, the NBAs and whatnot, it means that you, you, it comes, the problem is, like, it comes, you take it, for, I suppose we kind of take it a little bit for granted that when a new space opens up, we just go headfirst into it and take a look at it and try and understand who's in and around it, and then promote those creatives, whoever they may be, on the platform. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Mate, obviously, you've got a lot more work now because you've got yeah. a lot more areas to look at. Because it's not just, you know, like, it could be anyone, you know, an artist like Priya Ragu, who has just turned up. Do you know what I mean? You've got to think about her work alongside Joy Crooks, alongside, like, you know, Liam Gallagher, alongside, um, who else? You know, just anyone, you know, anyone who, you know, like a Rihanna or a Kali, you know, uh, just anyone like Kaliuchis, like it doesn't. There's a lot more people to consider. So by due process, you've got to consider that if you want to work in their spaces as well, you want to come and work in Dave's space. You want to come and work in Heady One space. You want to go and work in Fredo's space. Trust me, I'm not the gatekeeper to stop you from doing that in any way, shape, or form. Only the production company who decides to not have an eclectic group of individuals working within their framework will stop themselves from being able to enter that space. It's taken me a very long time to build up a real interesting level of trust in and around the people that I work with, in and around the labels that I work with, for them to allow me to do what I do quite freely at the same time. And... If, a, if our industry wants to understand not just at face value why you have to bring people from different working backgrounds, different social backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, do you know what I mean, into the fold, it's because that's how you firstly get something genuine out of the medium that we work with. You can know it's the only way. It's literally the only way. Like, so... Diverse, you know, the, the buzzword of diversity or the keyword of diversity in the time that we live in, it, it can't, it's not surface level. It actually, yeah. <clears throat> it's, a, it's, it's an ideology that should allow us to truly and genuinely understand why you want to enter a space if you want to enter a space. You want to enter the black music space? 
you can't just go and get a couple of black runners and think that that's going to be okay and maybe hire a black producer every now and then. You've got yeah. to go into the you've got to go into the actual backgrounds that these people come from and understand why if we or if you know there are certain people who have I've had a I have I know I've had a luxury being able to work in the corners that I've been able to work in. Do you know what I mean? Work with the creators I've been able to work with, work with, sorry, and then apply that to anything that I do. It can't be a luxury anymore. Doesn't fucking make sense at all. At all. Like nepotism, even though I'm probably a byproduct of nepotism in one way or another, slightly doesn't make sense anymore. Let's let's assume we, uh, that the that the, there's a talent pool. We know there is. Yeah. Right? In in uh, in in areas of uh, uh, you know community, the people who love grime and hip hop the most are the people, yeah. as you say, should be making the videos for grime and hip hop and. Yeah. Is there the pathway for them to get in to be doing those? I mean, are they doing them already? Aren't they? In a way, it's just they—they're they're making people are making videos for their mates. Yeah. Do they actually? Can they make the grade into what we consider to be the industry? The and industry. is it happening? Is there—is there a—is there a—is there a, is it—is it happening more than it was? The, 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 this is what I was about to say. As much as someone within the quote-unquote industry may not understand someone from a certain hood background or whatever, they don't understand the industry as well. Do you mm, know what I mean? Yeah. It works both ways. Yeah. And, but they've got no business trying to understand this convoluted, quiet, concealed industry. Do you know what I mean? That takes from them culturally... And then goes and either repackages it in a way that allows a different group of people to understand it. Do you know what I mean? In their own kind of way. Yeah. The truth of the matter is, for it to actually feel genuine, we have to understand, or the industry has to understand those that they take from. Do you know what I mean? And the only way that you can do that is by widening the net. It's up to the industry to really understand that if you don't make it inclusive then that's on you. It's on no one else at all. And I think it's, it should still be a more... I, at the beginning of BLM, when that happened, I felt like there was a collective conversation that was happening and I feel like it dissolved, it dissipated a bit mm. when things calmed down. And that's because, you know, that's genuinely because we don't have, like, an association that we are really held to a standard by We've got the APA, you know, that's fine. That kind of deals with the day-to-day kind of stuff. But I'm talking about, you know, whether you like it or not, you have to do this. We don't have that. But that's because we work in a creative industry that, you know, freedom probably is the one byproduct of what allows one company to be better than the other company. But we again, that doesn't mean then that things should slip through the net. If there can be processes that are put in that mean that people like Alex, like uh, an Andre over at some such, like a me, like a mm. like a Salvador, go through the door a lot, get through the door a lot more than we get through it now, then however that's put into place needs to be put into place. And I'll, you know, quite readily put my hand up and say, I, you know, maybe I should even start something like that. I don't know. But it all requires support and it all requires teamwork because... 
whether we like it or not, we are all one big family in and around all of this, you know. We've all yeah. kind of stepped on each other's toes in one way or another. So I don't know why we're all pretending that we don't all know each other and know what the fucking problems are, because we all know mm -hmm. what the problems are. So if it needs to be a discussion point, even on a forum like this, David, where, you know, we have to regularly bring it back up and ask questions and hold people accountable, then let's just do it, because there's no other reason to not do it anymore. I, I'm not just beating the drum. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you can quite clearly see that I've kind of, like I say, I've got passionate and quite obsessed, like within the black music space because of where I come from. Do you know what I mean? I've gone kind of like, I've, I've gone full circle, which is quite interesting. I think that's what I've had to figure out in my life as like a human being that I've kind of, I kind of took this adventure and kind of came in and found, I found this entire industry in one way or another through, you know, like I say, my cousin opening up a certain door and then have come full circle to, you know, to then understand that if I've got all of these, if I've got access to all these resources and I've got access to all of these people and they can benefit, you know, they can better the people that I, you know, that I now consistently work with, do you know what I mean? Then that's just the way it is, you know. There's no rhyme or reason as to why it has worked out this way. It's just what has worked out. And it's the same deal, you know, on a wider scale. It's like all of us shouldn't, We've all got bills to pay. We've all got lives to live. We've all got families to look after. We've all got our own ambitions. But come on, man. Like, this is a fucking luxury industry. Let's be deadly honest. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? We ain't getting up at six in the morning to open up the green bin and, and then the blue bin and then throw shit away. This is, <laughs> this is luxury to do what we do. So why are we still making it so luxury that, you know, someone down the road on their iPhone 13, 12 or 11 can equally use that to make something of equal quality if they figure it out. Why are you letting them figure it out? Might as well teach them how to do it. Then we'll just have the best directors or the best creatives or the best, you know, art directors or the best producers in this country. I think that's great. I think it's a really good point to end on. I think it's... Um... It is. It's been brilliant. Nathan, thank you so much. Mate, thanks for having me. Uh, you're thank very you. welcome. Listen, just keep doing this because... It's necessary. Do you know what I mean? You guys have always figured out a way of keeping the conversation going and being like right in the middle of it. And that's what I mean from like, whether it's bug, whether it's just the platform as in promo news, you're the greatest gatekeepers within the conversation that will continue in and around, do you know what I mean? Like this creative space. So just thanks for having me on, but just keep doing what you're doing. We we'll do our best. Yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> all the best. Thanks, Nathan. All right, guys, in a bit. This has been the Premier News Podcast, talking music videos with David Knight and Rob Ulitsky of Premier News, in association with Loop Talent. Our thanks again to Nathan and to Annie Ayres and Sophia Whitehead at Untold Studios. You can find links to the videos discussed in this podcast and to more work by Nathan in the description of this podcast and also at premiernews.tv, the home for the latest in music video creativity and production news. And subscribe to the Premier News podcast to hear more of our conversations with leading creatives in the music video industry. Bye for now.